Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every week as he talks with the greats of the game. You are the smartest guy I've spoken to on radio or television in my career. And Chris, again, you are, you're knocking out of the park. You're like eight under par in this interview. By having any research, I'm hiring your tail to be the research man. You're the best. You're a fantastic host and tremendously respected in the golf community. Yeah, Chris, you do an amazing job and your listeners are super lucky to have you and it's always my pleasure. Chris Carroll is the king of the golf podcast. Don't miss him on Tuesdays. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and this week is a very happy birthday to me episode of the show. I've loaded up my foursome of guests with some guys who are not only longtime guests of the show, but also great friends off the air. I'll be celebrating the 28th anniversary of my 30th birthday today. Inside my head, I'm still 30 years old, though after a round of golf or just standing in one place for about 15 minutes, my back and my body, in the immortal words of Rocky Balboa, ain't that the truth. Anyway, I'm truly blessed because I get to do this show, and I get to do it for you and for me. Because after my family, this show is one of the great joys of my life. I've been able to talk to so many of my golf heroes, many of who have become really wonderful friends, as have many of you, and I thank all of you so very much for making this show a part of your golf content. All right, on to tonight's show. First up is going to be our director of instruction, Tom Patry. He'll be followed by my all-time favorite author and TV producer, Keith Hirschland. And then Double Trouble with Mitch and Matthew Lawrence, both joining me a little bit later on in the show. And Matthew says he's got something he needs to say to my listeners tonight. I can't even imagine what that could be. That makes me question whether I want to unmute his line when he calls in. But we're all in this together, okay? Another great foursome in store for you tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun over the next 90 minutes or so. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I want to start things off by reminding you about the Macklemore. It's a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, high atop Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction and will open summer of 2024. That Outpost is another Bill Bergen, Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, which every inch of that cliff edge is filled up with a golf hole. They've got a world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both have incredible views into historic Macklemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. you got to see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at Macklemore. Go online to macklemore.com to book your stay and play package today. And let's talk about grips, folks. I want to remind you about our friends over at Lambkin Grips because every shot has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. 
Let's talk about our connection to the club, folks. And let's talk about our friends over at Lampkin Grips, because every shot has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability, while their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel in your hand shouldn't, though. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. You can find Tom down at Crown Colony Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida. So if you want to play your best golf ever this year and going forward for that matter, go see Tom. Let him help you with every facet of your game. If you can't get down there, well, then download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing through that app. You can find Tom online at TomPatry.com and on Instagram at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel where you can watch over 300 free video lessons. Tom won the Division II National Championship in 1981 when he was at Florida Southern University. He's in their Athletics Hall of Fame. He's also in the Sunshine State Conference Hall of Fame. Rumor has it he's got a little side business going right now where he's supplying the New York Yankee pitchers with spider tack and, and hand soap so they can wash their hands in between innings. But we are privileged he is back with us again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Tom, how are you, my friend? Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Chrissy. Happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you, TP. You're so Chrissy happy. boy! <laughs> Tommy! Tom, I want to start our time tonight by looking back at the Masters. With your relationship with Seve and Rom winning on what was the 40th anniversary of Seve's second Masters victory, plus it being Seve's birthday, was Rom's win extra special for you? First of all, those facts were kind of spooky when I first heard them. It, it was shaping up that way. I didn't realize it was going to end on that that Sunday with those uh, those things in place. Um, and certainly... Every year at this time during that tournament, Chris, I, I'm reminded more and more of Seve and, and him being gone. So that was that was pretty spooky but cool in the same way. As you know, I was there on Wednesday and Thursday. And the fact that Rom starts out on Thursday with a four putt on that golf course on those greens and, and doesn't get rattled at all gets the really bad weather draw as compared to Brooksville, the best weather draw, and still goes on and wins. I mean, it was just an incredible performance as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, I, I'm watching on Sunday. Um, I left there on Thursday and went over to Sea Island to stay with some friends. And Denise met me over there. And I'm watching on Sunday. hit that drive around the corner on 13. It was just an absolute bomb. And, and I'm just saying, man, this is just like, you know, it's just like a, a storybook finish unfolding, you know, on, on Seve's birthday. So it was really incredible. I thought it was incredible in myself. Speaking of his round on Sunday, and he didn't have to make a huge move in the final round. Shot a really nice 69, but it became clear on the back nine that Kepka wasn't making any putts, wasn't going to make a huge charge to retake the lead. 
At what point is the smart thing to do, and you maybe you teach this to your players as well, to go out and make pars and force the other players to take chances, make the mistakes, have to make birdies in order to catch you? Yeah, I mean, John John played, I don't think he played conservative. I think he hit, he hit a lot of quality golf shots. But as you and I both know, we've, and anybody who watches that tournament year in and year out, it's so easy to make a mistake not doing anything wrong at all in that golf course. So, you know, you're always walking on eggshells, you know, coming around amen corner and all the way through 16 and even the tee ball at 18, just, you know, even, even Rom and uh, our good friend Jordan Smith had a little problem with the tee ball at 18. But, you know, that golf, that golf tournament is never over until it's over. So you have to, you know, you, you just cannot fall asleep at the wheel anywhere in that back nine. Tom, your friend Fred Couple set another record at Augusta National. He became the oldest player to make the cut. Talk about Freddie's ability to still be competitive out there into his early 60s. You know, we, uh, as you know, because we talked off air, Denise and I had dinner with him at the Chubb Classic in Naples. Uh, I guess it was three weeks, uh, three or four weeks before the Masters. And, um, you know, he, you know, we've been friends for, well, God, it's 40, 40 plus years. Um, the guy, the guy just doesn't seem to age. I mean, yeah, the hair has turned gray and, and, uh, and we're both a little bit heavier than we were in 1980, 81, but he, you know, he still hits it a long ways. He still hits it, you know, a real long ways for 63 years old. Um, still hits it right in the middle of the, of the, of the club face. And, and I, I don't see him, I don't see him getting any older anytime soon. He just, uh, He's kind of timeless, you know. He's almost like a Sam Snead timeless. You know, great tempo, great athleticism. Still got a great range of motion. Still likes to play the game. Loves Augusta. Just loves loves that golf tournament. Loves that piece of property. Um, you know, made the cut a thousand times there. Had so many good finishes. Even even the year Amira won, he was right there at the end. Um, it's just he's he's timeless. It's just incredible. It's incredible. Speaking of that, Augusta National seems to bring out the best in former and even older champions already. <coughs> you mentioned 98 when, when, when Fred was right there with O'Meara. Well, Jack Nicholas was right there too at 58 years old, making another run, trying to get a seventh green jacket. Yep. He finished and he ended up finishing tied for sixth that year. But there's something in Phil, 52 years old, right. got himself in, you know, finished tied for second. So yep. there's something about, that course and the and the former champions, they they know where to put the ball. They know where to put the ball in the greens and in the fairways. Give themselves the right angles in. That course seems to always bring out the best in the former champions. Why is it? I, I think that there is a tremendous amount of respect there for the history of that club, the history of that tournament, for Bobby Jones, for what what that tournament's been through the years to golf, the first right of spring. Um, the uniqueness of the event and how you get into the event. Um, I, I think so many guys have, have so much respect for that, that event and, and that golf course. And they, they become very emotionally attached to that. Win, I, think. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, when you become a, a champion there, as we all know, you're, you know, you're a lifetime invitee um, and you're part of a very, very special, very, very exclusive club. So I, I think they carry it with them and they, and, and it's, it's extremely dear to them, uh, at least, Almost everybody except for Gary Player. Excuse me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, 
Tom, one of the many changes on the PGA Tour this year is, you know, we've got elevated events now with $20 million purses. The rule for this year, they've changed it for next, but the rule for this year was supposed to be that players have to play in all but one of those elevated events. Well, Well, we decided not to play in the very first one, which was the tournament champions, decided to skip that one. Dangerous when you're going to skip one and you've got, you know, 20 of these things. But then after missing the cut at the Masters, Tom, Roy decides not to play in last week's Heritage Classic. So the guy who's become really the face of the PGA Tour now yeah. was the first one not to play in two. And not only yeah, that, he didn't even give a reason why he didn't. I, I, yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, 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 you know, every time, you know, I, I'm always torn, Chris, about being a Rory fan or not a Rory fan. Every time I start to like Rory for one reason or another, he does something for me not to like, you know, uh, the situation, the way he handed the, the chubby Chandler dismissal as his agent, uh, you know, certain things he said through the years, the glass coffee table, we won't go into that anymore because he's married. Um, and, and, and now this deal right here, you've been, you've become the, the face of the PGA tour. You've been the spokesman that's been anti-live and, and rightly so. And then you help create the rules for the elevated events. And then you're the first one to violate the rules. And as you said, there's no reason given, not only by Rory, no reason given, but the tour doesn't really make a, any kind of really, really detailed statement about it. And all they're going to do is going to take away potentially $3 million of his PIP money. When, you know, I think again, you and I have talked off air about this instead of taking away 3 million of his PIP money that he isn't really guaranteed yet. Why not make him write a check where it hurts his pocketbook a little bit? But we don't know anything. We, we're not told anything about this, and, and it just kind of gets swept under the table. It's it's not really, you know, with all the things that Greg Norman has for ammunition right now, don't give him more ammunition. Don't you know? Don't give him more to talk about. It's uh, it, it's just not a good optic at all. Let's switch gears a little bit, Tom. And talking about great players, a few times a year, I end up getting in a. Twitter war with people and an arguing about who the greatest player of all time is. We all know it's Jack Nicholas, and it really isn't close. But I wanted to get your perspective. Excuse me. Excuse me. What? Jack Nicholas? Is yeah, of course it's Jack Nicholas, and it isn't really close. Um, so it's not Tiger Woods, right? No, it, it is. It is most assuredly not. So we, we get, I just want to. I just want to make sure we go down and 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 as great friends that we are, I want to go on the record that we disagree on that. Okay. Okay. Let's continue. <laughs> Ooh. I see a new, another segment coming up with you on, on how wrong you are about that. And, um, and I, I'm always, I'm always wrong. Chris. Of I, course I, you are. Don't be silly. Exactly. But, but let's go beyond the top two. Like, give me a top five, and you don't have to put it in any any certain order. But you know, the top five greatest players of all time, in your opinion? Well, I think I think certainly Jack and Tiger, right there, one two or two one, however you want to put that. But there's certainly that's not disputable. So it's always after them. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, Hogan has to be in that conversation. And then here's where it's going to get a little dicey with, with me and a lot of people. You know, I look at players like like Walter Hagen. I look at players like Bobby Jones. Uh, and I know it's so hard to compare errors. I You know, you look at Sneed's record. Um, you look at Byron Nelson's record. Uh, it would be so difficult to round out that top five and not have 100 people disagree in 100 different ways. Um, but, you know, Hagen's record in, in majors in the PGA and, and 
his, his swag and, and, you know, what Jones did for golf, you know, at the, at the turn of that century and how he elevated the, uh, the attention drawn to the sport and what he did with Augusta and, and the, and the, and the lineage he left behind. Um, you know, Sneed was, Sneed was uniquely Sneed and certainly the war of Ben Hogan, which, which people talk about and certainly teachers talk about every single day on social media. Um, I think they're all in the conversation. But my, my favorite part of this, Chris, is the most underrated player of all time. And I'll throw that back at you because I think you know who mine is and who's yours. So Yeah, I definitely know who yours is. And I would, I would agree with you on, on who yours is. But I, I, I want to throw another guy out there. Go ahead. What about Raymond Floyd? Oh, it's, 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 it certainly can put him in the argument. I mean, you know. You know, multiple majors, you know, the Masters, the PGA, the U.S. Open, uh, never won over in uh, at the Open Championship. But what an incredible competitor, um, you know, just certainly somebody you really didn't want to tangle with much coming down the stretch. He had nerves of steel and was a shot maker that was extraordinary, you know, just he could rival just almost anybody. And the short game and the chipping and the pitching and the putting was extraordinary. So. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't disagree with putting him in the argument. No, not at all. All right. So now you got to say who yours is. Well, I, I, I'm really partial. I think the most underrated player of all time is Billy Casper. I mean, I'll throw a few things at you. 72 professional wins, 51 on the PGA Tour, seventh all time, one on the European Tour, nine on the Champions Tour, won the Masters in 70. Uh, three times runner-up in the PGA Championship, won the U.S. Open in 59-66, which means that he won majors in three consecutive decades. Uh, fourth at the Open Championship, is in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Two-time PGA Player of the Year at the pinnacle of Nichols's run in, in, in the late 60s and early 70s. PGA Tour leading money winner twice and five times won the Varden Trophy. Uh, played on eight Ryder Cup teams, was the captain of the Ryder Cup, and is the all-time point winner on Ryder Cup teams. Um, so if that's not a pretty good record, uh, and, and they talk about the big three, and I know you're friends with this gentleman, uh, they talk about you know Palmer, Nicholson, player. And I know players got him by, by a nose on the majors, but the overall record and the overall body of work here is absolutely incredible. And, and nobody talks about Billy very much because he was a quiet man, you know, he was a very religious guy, kind of kept to himself. He didn't have the swagger that some of those guys had, certainly not the swagger that Arnold had and, and player had. Um, but what a what a what a resume. Um, just an absolute incredible resume. Yeah, and, and like uh, you were saying a moment ago, just a wonderful human being. Yeah. And I had the privilege of having Billy on the show very early on. actually in episode one of Did the you show. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I had uh, the privilege of talking to him twice on this show, but wow. he, he and Gary Player were on episode one of this show, um, which is why there was a two and a three and a four and then the rest of this. But um, just a wonderful human being. He had that, you know, huge heart, just a teddy bear of a guy. And, a uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, the game was better off because of him. And, and you know, and his book you know, was The Big Three and Me. So yeah. he was certainly... He was certainly the fourth Beatle in there. And, um, yeah, great, great choice. You know, he, he, he just was, you know, to me, you know, some of, you know, shot making and his ability to move the ball, uh, around on the golf course, very crafty. 
didn't have the length of Nicholas, didn't have the length of Palmer, um, played, played the game a little differently, a little short game, short game, short game. And I got a little trivia for you. Uh-oh. And, and you probably looked at the bio, so you might know this, but I'm sure the viewers don't. Where did he go to college? Well, I think, I think conventionalism would have told you he must have gone to BYU, but he actually went to Notre Dame. Went to Notre Dame. How about that? As, yep. as, a, as a Mormon, you know, and, and as a college player uh, and a guy from San Diego, California, how did he end? I, I would love to hear the story of how he ended up at Notre Dame, you know? Right. How that happened. That's, uh, you might have to track down Byron Casper to ask if he's still involved in, in, the, in the Casper name and the Casper. Casper. I, 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 when I read that, I, I had no idea about that at all. Tom, let's switch gears a little bit. And you recently did something that all of us are dying to be able to do, and that's play golf over at Seminole Golf Club. And that's not the first time you've played over at Seminole. So let us live a little vicariously through you. What's it like playing there? I actually played there yesterday, Chris. Um, I think it was my, I don't really know exactly, my fifth or sixth time playing, you know, uh, courtesy originally of Bob Ford. And, uh, and, and Bob was always gracious to have me over and play. And then now Bob's predecessor, we passed the, passed the torch to Matt Cahill, who's been a friend of mine since he worked for Bob for almost eight years pre-getting the job. We passed the torch to Matt and Matt's a, a really fine player and, and a real superstar, young professional, maybe one of the real shining lights of the PGA of America. He's 31 and is the head professional seminal to taking over at age 29. Um, so I played golf with Matt and, and uh, two of my members went over with me yesterday. Um, Seminole is a, a very unique place. It's funny. One of my two members went over as a very, very high golf IQ and has played a lot of golf all over this country and all over the world. And, and you know, some of the really fine places. And he, and he walked, you know, through the locker room out into the, out into the area in front of the pro shop. And he looked around and people haven't been there. As you're standing like just outside the pro shop, the whole property is in front of you. It's it's, it's very vast. There's almost there's almost no trees on the property, but it's bunkers and sand dunes and just this vast piece of real estate that's amazing looking. And right to your right is a thing called the Atlantic Ocean. Um, it's it's kind of breathtaking. You know, you've been to Augusta, and you know how when you come around that corner by the clubhouse there by the pro shop, how the whole thing kind of the vista is right in front of you, and it's kind of breathtaking. Well. Seminole has that same kind of uh, take your breath away vista as you as you walk out of the golf shop or walk out of the men's locker room. Um, it's an amazing piece of property. Uh, it's it's you know one of one of Ross's real masterpieces. The green complexes are extremely difficult. Uh, they're very very undulating and very quick. The bunkering is phenomenal uh, and not easy at all. It's a second shot golf course, meaning that. It's not a hard driving golf course. It gives you room to drive the golf ball. But, man, you better pinpoint your second shot, kind of like you have to do with Augusta in the sense that if you get on the wrong side of the hole, it's going to be a, it's going to be a really long day for you. Um, it's really phenomenal. It's, it's just incredible and probably my favorite men's locker room in all of golf. And why is that? Well, the locker room is kind of a, a big rectangle, Chris, and, and the ceilings are probably 30 or I'm guessing 30 or 40 feet high. And and up high on each wall on three sides are um, all the club boards, you know, the club championship, all the different events. But one of the things that's up on one of the walls is the uh, the uh, Seminole Pro Member, which has been in existence since the, I believe, since the early 40s. And if you look at the names who have won the Pro Member at Seminole, 
you know, I'll go down a short list for you uh, with the easy ones, Toski and Fergal and Demerit and, and Hogan and Nelson and Sneed. And, and then you go to the Ricky Fowlers of the world and the Adam Scotts of the world and, and just goes on and on. It's like a who's who from going back in time to present. Um, it, it, they're always playing, obviously, a two-man team situation with, you know, one of the Seminole members who invites them. Um, but the board is phenomenal. Like, like I said, 40s to present. And you go down this list of names on this board and it's like, it's like the who's who of golf, the cathedral of golf. And the, and the, the lockers are around the perimeter of the room, these old wooden lockers with, with uh, cushioned bench seats in front of them. And then in the middle of the room are multiple leather chairs and other couches and, and golf books laying around everywhere. And just, you know, it just, it just reeks, reeks of history, just reeks of history. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, I like to go to the locker room after I play and usually my guys want to go in the pro shop and buy some swag. And I just usually sit in that locker room for 25 or 30 minutes and just stare at the walls because it's, you know, how much I love golf history. Well, it, it's, it's golf history just, just oozing out of the walls at you. And I didn't realize this until you and I had the conversation, but if, if I really had thought about it, it would have made perfect sense. But Seminole is about to close down for the year, kind of like Augusta National does, not for yeah. the year, but for the summer. Yeah. And everybody goes off to their the other courses that they belong to, which makes sense because with Bob being the the head professional at Seminole, he was also the head professional at Oakmont. Right. So it's sort of the swap of seasons. If I thought that through, that would make sense. Yeah, they closed they close right around Mother's Day every year. They open in mid-October. They close, uh, and just before they close, they host an event called the Tullman, which is an invitational which is kind of the who's who of mid-amateur golf with a sprinkling of uh, fine amateurs and college players. And that's a, I believe it's a 54 hole event, Chris. I could be wrong about that, but it's a big deal. And it's like I said, a who's who of uh, amateur golf. And that's the last event of the season that they host every year. Um, and that's, that's coming up in, in just a couple of weeks. Tom, we wanted to have a, a new segment on the show this year. And it's sort of Tom's tip of the week. You and I were talking about this off the air and you've got a simple one you want to share yeah you know you, you asked me about ways people can improve and and uh, i gotta kind of tell a story on myself because we we did a a member survey recently uh and we do it every year at at, at the golf club of crown colony and uh one of the big complaints about tom they asked you know what 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 don't you like about tom's teaching and multiple people um made the statement that they wouldn't take any lessons from me in the future because I wanted them to practice too much. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and, and my, my GM, who's a good friend of mine and a PGA professional, Dave Kent, kind of kind of shared that with me. And, and so you got to read this. And I, I read it. And, you know, obviously, he took the names away, so I didn't know who they were, um, rightfully so, because I might have, I you know, let the area of the tires or something in the parking lot. But, <laughs> but I, I kind of read it. I just kind of chuckled. And it's not the first time, the first club I've been at where I've heard that complaint because I'm always on people's case. that listen, you got to get out and work on this. You got to get out and work on this. You got to spend some time. Changes take time. Changes take reps. You know, redundancy is the mother of learning. Um, and I think the average club player doesn't understand how hard it is to change the physiology of the golf swing. You know, if you have any kind of a motor skill pattern over an extended period of time, to change that motor skill pattern is extremely difficult. And that, and that's why I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna hurt myself here and hurt my instructors across the country. They're probably cringing right now, but that's why a very small number of amateur golfers really ever really get that much better. 
because they don't understand the work involved in making a motor skill change and changing the physiology of a golf swing. It's hard. I mean, we watch tour players go through it. We watch Norman go through it. We watch Nick Price go through it. We watch Nick Faldo go through it. You know, we watch Tiger go through it on multiple occasions. It, it's, it's not an easy deal. And these guys are hitting hundreds of golf balls a day. Um, it, it's, it's, it's hard work. So let's take that a step further. I mean, time, right? I mean, you can't get, I always like to say to people that, that are new to golf, it only takes about 10 years to go from awful to bad, <laughs> right? At the game. I mean, it's, 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 you can't get good at the game if you're not going to invest the time and you're not going to go out and practice. You're not going to hit golf balls. You can't come to a guy like Tom Patry and get a lesson, you know, on a Tuesday and then not practice that lesson and be available to be any better, right? Come yeah. Saturday or Sunday. Right. I mean, the expectation is the, if, if I'm going to spend the time and the money to be with Tom Patry, I got to have the time and the energy to go practice what he just taught me. I can't just expect to remember it, show up at 7.55 for my 8 a.m. tea time, run out there, put a peg in the ground to go play, and now, now I'm better. Now you're right, Chris. And one of the things I've told people, and I, I preach this every day, is you know nothing replaces live action. Nothing replaces reps on a range or, or holes being played or getting out to the club and working on your game. But I also have gotten... And compiled probably, I'm, I'm going to be conservative, 200 drills probably that I recommend to people for various reasons that they can do indoors in their living room in front of a mirror or by doing dry runs in front of a sliding glass door with a reflection um, just to get the feel and the understanding of where their body should be in, in terms of sequence and timing and space and time. So uh, I've got a as you know, Chris, I, during COVID, I turned my garage into a studio, and I've got a couple mirrors in the garage. Let me—I've got I can shoot TrackMan on on in there, and I can I can also stream uh, video images up onto a flat screen on the wall. And I'll go out there on occasion and just do rehearsals. And I have a net; I can hit shots too. But I'll go out there and just do rehearsals sometimes in front of the mirror for twenty or thirty minutes to try to mimic a takeaway situation or a top position or a sequence of, you know, arms fall, body rotate, and a downswing, or whatever it happens to be. Um, and I, and I, I remember in college doing, doing millions and millions of reps in my, in my dorm room in front of a mirror uh, pre the national championship and pre, and pre different college events, just trying to get a feel and a sequence idea of what, what things should be doing in space and time. So there's a lot of different ways to tackle this. You don't have to, have to be at the club, but you have to invest this thing called time. The other thing that you just mentioned, you're watching your swing in, in a mirror and going through reps and practices in your dorm room. Nowadays, obviously, with video and that sort of thing. Right. I tell you, one of the things that, that had, has came as a pretty big shock to me is when I actually started to videotape myself, you know, right. just get my cell phone and, and a tripod and videotaping right. my setup and my swing and all that sort of stuff. Well, I thought you know, I was doing a lot of things differently than in, in my mind than I was in reality. Yeah. That's why video, you know, videotaping yourself, sending it to you to evaluate, but sometimes just videoing yourself and taking a look at it can make right. a difference. And, and Chris, you, you, you first, when you first videoed yourself, you thought you looked like Jack Nicholson. When you look like Jack Schwartz, you know, <laughs> you know? and that's, 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 that can be, that can be devastating. I mean, you can look at it and go, wait a second. I don't really look like that. Do I, do I really do that? And, right. and it's funny, I mean, first thing you put people in video, I've got a guy, I'm not going to mention any names, who's part of my V1 program right now, who subscribed 
I've and Chris, I've got 150 people on my V1 subscription right now that I've never met. Okay, that live in different countries in different parts of this country, and I'll never meet them. But we're working remotely, and I've got this one guy out west who's, who's a new subscriber, and you know, he sent me a detailed email about what he's what he's doing with his golf game and how he feels about his golf swing and what he thinks it looks like. And he had never sent himself on video, and he sends me this first video clip. And I'm like, holy smokes, his perception of what he is and the, and the reality of what he really is, is so far apart. And during that first video analysis that I sent back to him, I said to him, I'll just call him, I'll call him Bob. I said, Bob, listen, in your, in your email to me, you describe yourself as this. And let's go through this now, kind of frame by frame. And, and, and to his credit, he, he didn't get discouraged. He, he, you know, he answered very polite, and he said, man, I didn't realize I had that much work to do. And he's been working his rear wow. end off. I get three or four videos from him a week right now, and he's working his rear end off, and he's making some really nice progress. But his perception and his reality were so far apart, so far apart. And, and that, that's not unusual. That's not unusual at all. So let's talk about that, because the other thing that, that, that I think happens, <laughs> I would assume, with you a lot, because I know when I go for a lesson, I have high expectations and I have expectations that I'm going to be able to get better quickly, that this is a simple process. And even just as a, as a, as an amateur coming to a guy who is an instructor of, of your stature and your level, I have expectations. How do you manage expectations for what I can get out of this, particularly going back to what we said a moment ago, if I'm not going to invest the time to get better? Well, that, and that's what I say to people. I say, you know, I'll, I'll hold my hand up and I'll raise my hand up above my head. I said, listen, your expectations are up here. And I'll hold my hand up real high, my right hand, and I'll hold my left hand down real low. And I said, this is the amount of time you want to spend. I said, see how far my two hands are apart? I said, the area in between those two hands, the distance in between those two hands is called disappointment. Because <laughs> your expectations and your work ethic aren't even close to on the same plane. So you either have to raise your your work ethic or lower your expectations so you won't be disappointed and you'll be patient enough with the process. But if you don't get the expectation level and the time spent level pretty much on the same level, you're going to be extremely disappointed, extremely disappointed, and you're going to be very frustrated. And the last thing I want anybody to be is disappointed in my teaching or their success, and I certainly don't want them to be frustrated by it. So I think you have to have a coach who has, I'm, I'm going to use this, I'm a little off color here, the balls to look you in the eye and say, listen, your reality <laughs> is not real. Your reality is, is false. Your expectation is so far out of, out of whack with your work ethic and time spent. And until you get those things on a similar plane, you're not going anywhere. It's not going to work. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners again how they can stay up to date with you, following you on your website and on social media as well. Chris, all the regular places, you know, Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, uh, my own website at www.tompatry.com. And just a couple of corrections, Mr. Mascaro. The new, the new name of at Crown Colony is the Golf Club at Crown Colony. Isn't that fancy? Oh. They've, re- they've rebranded it. Wow. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. And wow, then, fancy. It's, yeah, it's very fancy. And then it's not Florida Southern University; it's Florida Southern College. They get a little testy about that. 
Wow. You know, yeah, I'm trying so. to give you a little, I'm trying to give you a cool stuff. So you, <laughs> well, so you don't mean, sound like you're an online school. Like anybody, it actually happened. Any, any, anybody who knows, me knows I couldn't go to a university. So it doesn't really matter. So it's, 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 okay. it's okay. It's okay. And before I let you go, Mr. Mascaro, as I do every time I'm on with you, I want to thank you for having me on. And, and, and so many of the guys you have on who are now friends of yours are also friends of mine. Um, we talk offline too. We talk off air too. And, whether it's Bob Ford or it's Damon Hack or whoever you want to name that's been on that, that are mutual friends of ours, thanks to the world of you and what you're doing. And it's the greatest golf podcast, not even a close second. No, I appreciate that very much, my friend. It means a great deal to me. You'd be happy to know that the, the Los Angeles Angels are up for nothing over the Yankees. Ah, there you go. See, you're making my night. You, yeah, I know. I, I appreciate not you. Not so Hold tight. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, TP. You're the best, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, pal. Yeah, that is the great Tom Patrick, folks. And again, at Tom Patrick Golf on Instagram, TomPatrick.com is his website. Be sure to go out and subscribe to his YouTube channel. Get all those free playing lessons from him. Going to do your game a world of good. And they don't come better than TP. I'm looking forward to catching up with him again in a couple of weeks. Before I get to my next guest, Keith Hirschland. I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf, at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year. And I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say. An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a, a 58. There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arcos and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arcos Caddy. When you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection. Sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold, eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to Construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T dot com, and use code CHRIS for 20% off the green collection today. All right, now back, and I'm honored to say this, for the 12th time with me here on Next on the T is my all-time favorite author and one of my favorite people anywhere on the planet, and that's Keith Hirschland. Keith has become a wonderful friend over the last several years, a great supporter of the show. He is an Emmy Award-winning TV producer. He has produced shows for ESPN, ESPN2, The Golf Channel, and now over on Live Golf. Keith was among the original people that started the Golf Channel back in 1995. He's written five wonderful books. My all-time favorite, which is Cover Me, Boys, I'm Going In. I'm also 
Kind of partial to his latest one song, Girl, a mystery in two verses in that C.T. Mascaro character. He's also written great books titled Big Flies, The Flower Girl Murder, Murphy Murphy in the Case of Serious Crisis, which was named Book of the Year by Book Talk, Golf, uh, Book Talk Radio Club. A sixth book is rumored to be on the way, which we'll talk about. And I'm honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Keith, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? you all that all that introduction makes me sound old. Jeez. <laughs> no, it just makes you sound accomplished. <laughs> A glass half full now. You're very accomplished. I appreciate accomplished. that. There you go. I appreciate you. How are you? I'm fantastic. You down in Australia? I am. I am in beautiful Adelaide, which right now it's raining, which it wasn't supposed to be, but uh, the sun's supposed to peak out here pretty quickly, and uh, I'm sure the... 48 players are out enjoying the Grange golf course as we speak. And it's, it's, it's becoming a habit. Every time I talk to you nowadays, it's tomorrow morning, wherever you're at. <laughs> I know. That's funny. Last time we spoke, I was in Singapore, right? I mean, not Singapore, Bangkok last year. Yeah. So tell us about Grange Golf Club and the, and the East Course, which is where I'm assuming that the tournament is going to get played. What's the golf course look like? It's amazing. Uh, we got, I got to, uh, South Australia Monday afternoon, left, I left Colorado Saturday afternoon and got to Adelaide Monday afternoon. Um, so it's a beautiful spot. It's, it's, uh, they, they call it, you know, the sand belt near Melbourne is the, mo I guess the most famous area here in Australia for golf, but this is a close second and, uh, the golf course, um, is a lot like those right across the street from the Grange is Royal Adelaide, um, which is another pretty famous golf course in this area. So, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's got that, that look that, uh, that Australian golf course look with the bunkers that are cut really sharp, uh, very deep bunkers that are cut sharp and the grass is, uh, it's like, um, the most pristine looking uh, tight lie fairway golf course, um, I may have ever seen. Uh, there's a lot of crowning around the greens. So, you know, if you're, if you're not exact and you miss a green, the ball will just like roll off this crown and it could roll 10, 15, 20 yards, uh, wow. away from the whole location if you're not, if you're not careful. So uh, it's going to be interesting. The golf course is not long. Um, you know, by modern standards, but at the same time, you have to be really, uh, smart about, you know, where, where you're hitting the ball off the tee and, and positioning in the fairway. And then again, approaching these greens is going to be, uh, it's going to test these guys for sure. You've got the Rippers team with four guys from Australia, <laughs> Cam Smith, Mark Leishman, Matt Jones, Jediah Morgan. I imagine they're going to be a huge focal point, uh, for you and the fans there this weekend what uh what are you expecting from those guys and the, and the fans uh around them well you know it's funny the expectation it it seems like especially around cam smith is you know i mean as one of the one of the best players in the world that uh that he's going to contend especially down here i mean local favorite obviously and we're expecting you know in the neighborhood of 20 to twenty-two thousand fans a day uh which will you know far exceed any of our live golf audience numbers um you know from any of our and it's it's amazing that i continue to say this but you know this will be event number 12 
<laughs> in live golf <laughs> history. So, you know, you just think about, you know, we, we've, we've been around for 12 tournaments. This is the 12th tournament. And, uh, the, you know, the, the impression that we've made and the, and the disruption that we've caused around the world of golf is, uh, is incredible to think about after that short of time. But, um, it's funny, you know, Cam, like I said, Cam's always, you know, everybody's always looking at Cam to play well and contend, but the folks we're talking to down here and even, you know, a couple of our guys, including Jerry Foltz, think that Mark Leishman, uh, Mark Leishman might be the guy this week. So oh. uh, everybody's excited about, uh, about Ripper GC. We're actually even going to have, uh, on our Live Golf Plus app, we're trying something new out this week where we're calling it a team stream. So you can see every shot that Ripper GC hits uh, this week on our Live Golf Plus app. So if you're a fan of the Aussie players, um, you'll be able to concentrate solely on uh, what they're doing out there on the golf course for three days. Wow, that's cool. So Yeah, see- the, plan is, the plan is to do that. Eventually, the plan would be for d- to have 12 team streams going at the same time. So you can watch Bubba's Range Goats or Phil's High Flyers or Brooks Kepka's Smash. Um, you know, they're really leaning into this team thing, Chris. And, you know, it's one of the most exciting, I, we think one of the most exciting things about live golf is, uh, you know, bringing the team element to golf. And, um, again, that's the goal eventually to have, you know, if you're a fan of one of these 12 teams, you can watch your guys play golf, uh, throughout the whole weekend. So let's talk about two of the things you just mentioned. Let's start with, with the team aspect. How's that going? I know that's part of the, the business plan going forward is, selling the teams and having team ownership and that sort of thing. How is that kind of, is that coming about? Are you seeing interest in that? Um, You know, I, I am the wrong person to answer that question probably just because I know that we've got um, a a very talented uh, group of professionals that that's their, that's their focus 24 seven in our, uh, you know, our teams department that, that are helping helping each of the teams uh, get set up as a business, basically. So right now, um, that's what you know. That's what a huge part of the company's focus is is uh, is helping out these teams. You know, with with management, with with uh, merchandise, with you know, they're they're into putting entire basically an entire business structure together for each team. And from what I understand, which I'm not privy to many of the conversations but from what i understand all that stuff is going great i mean they're you know ahead of schedule everything about live golf has been ahead of schedule we're you know last year was supposed to be a test year only we were supposed to do a couple of events and see how it went it turned into an eight event series this year was supposed to be last year uh you know we were supposed to be uh doing eight events this year that's turned into 14 they're talking about expansion again on that so everything's moving at a pace that you know, it's pretty much like our broadcast pace. It's, you know, it's pedal to the metal and, and moving forward. So, um, you know, as, as an outsider in terms of the business model side of things, I would say that everything I've heard, things are going according to plan, if not even a little, a little ahead of schedule. Yeah. So, and that's the interesting thing, right? I mean, and I think these are just skeptics of the whole live golf idea, but people talking about how. Things are not going well. There's no crowds. No one's watching. No one's going. You know, this thing is, is, is petering out. But it seems like from our conversations, it's really the opposite of that. I think last year you were saying that it seemed like you guys were on 
year six of what the business plan was. <laughs> and now you can, now you're even further along than that. It just seems like it's, it's negative publicity, which is absolutely not what is happening. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I understand that. And I understand that a lot of people, you know, we, it's, it's kind of the nature of the beast that, you know, the, your critics are going to be extra critical. Your fans are going to be extra fanatical, right? I mean, it's somewhere and everything, what the truth is, is somewhere in the middle of all of that. So, um, I will tell you from being on the ground, um, it is, full speed ahead there is no you know from last year to this year there is no backing down in terms of support in terms of resources at least from our broadcast side and again that's what i can speak to more than anything else from the broadcast side we are the company is is still you know we, we are trying to to innovate we're trying to to do something different every single day not it's not a year to year. What can we do differently? It's a, it's almost a day to day. And if somebody comes up with a good idea and it requires resources in terms of manpower or money, the company says, this is, we agree. This is a good idea. Go do it. So, um, nothing, you know, the critics, the critics are the critics. The fans are the fans. Um, you know, we're just trying to put on the best golf TV show we can every Friday, Saturday and Sunday that we're out here with live golf. And, uh, and so far, like I said, um, nobody has told us to stop doing what we're doing. So I'm going to take that as a good sign. Speaking of innovate and technology, talk about some of the things that you guys are doing that are innovative and, and some of the new technology that you guys are using this year that maybe you weren't using last year moving forward with actually new stuff. Yeah, it's you know, it's we have a great uh, team. Uh, technical team that, that is, is with us. And that, you know, that's the other thing that's been a, an eye opener for me after not doing golf on TV for 10 years. And, you know, I was with golf channel for almost 20 years, ESPN for a handful of years before that. And then I was writing books for 10 years. And, and, uh, as my wife says, I failed spectacularly at retirement. So I'm back out here doing golf again. And the, the, the technology that's available now, um, from, you know, simple things like, you know, drones, uh, the graphics that you can now, um, put on the screen. Uh, you know, I think the, the goal for us was to really, and this is, you know, going to sound like a talking point, but it really is to try and, and introduce a younger audience to golf, to try and bring in, you know, a more youthful, uh, group of folks to become fans of golf on TV and, and a lot of what we're doing, um, for lack of a better term, is to kind of bring a video game look, video game kind of technology to the screen, because that's what, you know, as I'll, I'll be a, an old guy and say, that's what kids these days are used to. You know, they're, <laughs> they're used to, you know, playing, you know, playing video games and seeing stuff and having, having statistics and colorful graphics and things. So we've added a number of, uh, of, you know, kind of graphic looks that show scoring average if you hit it in different parts of the fairway. One of the things we're really proud of is our, uh, our live line, which is it's a putt predictor. So it shows the break of the putt, um, uh, from on the green, but it's different from what's been done before because we actually have it on the ground from a handheld that's on the ground green, you know, player level on the green as opposed to the tower camera 
which is something we had the technology at Golf Channel uh, years ago. It's what we won our first Emmy for at Golf Channel was the aim point cutting line. But now this brings it down to the ground. And that's never been done before. So, um, and then we, you know, we're just trying, we're just trying stuff every day, Chris. We're trying to, you know, we, we have meetings when we're done with shows and say, you know, did this work? Did that not work? What can we do different? What can we do better? So again, we hope that, you know, we hope that people enjoy the look and feel of the broadcast. It's faster paced. We show more golf, we show less commercials. You know, it's all that stuff that people who watch golf complain about. We're trying to get away from. And you talk about the graphic look, you're, the leaderboard that you guys use is, is very different, right? It's kind of similar to a, a Formula One leaderboard because of the, the way it's, you know, vertical and not horizontal. And you, you're doing a lot of interesting things with that. How is that working? It's working great. You know, and again, it's, you know, it's different. So you know how people are, Chris, <laughs> you know change people a lot of people don't like change and um i have had the i have had the 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 honor really in my career to work with some of the the people that belong on mount rushmore of sports television you know including don olmeyer when i first started out doing espn's golf and now david hill who is you know he's a genius and he, he you know he was part of the part of the uh the fox uh, first and 10 line when they got football, he was been, he's been involved in Formula One production. And that is where this idea of the pylon came from is Formula One racing. And, and the really the, the goal behind it is to just let viewers know or to remind viewers that there's golf going on all over the golf course all the time and scores are changing all the time. And it's not, we're not holding back updating the leaderboard until we show a putt for birdie all that stuff is happening real time and the key or the thought behind that was to get the viewer to actually lean in instead of sit back and watch so we want the viewer to lean into our coverage and know that oh wait phil mickelson just went from minus five to minus six i may have been showing brooks kepka live um but they see Phil move up the pylon and they know that they're going to see the shot momentarily, but they've already known that Phil's making a move. So it's, you know, it's different. Again, it's some people don't like it. Uh, you know, we get a lot of, we get some criticism for it because it's, there's a lot going on on the screen at one time, but we like to think that that should be the way it is going forward that you don't, you know, you're not trying to fool anybody. You were just showing the live golf. We're showing shots on tape. But at the same time, that leaderboard, that pylon is live, real time, showing movement up and down between the players. So that was the goal. That was the thought process behind it. And Keith, we talked about this a little bit last time you were on this show. But unlike a tournament out on the PGA Tour, you've got everyone on the golf course at the same time. To your point, I mean, it's got to be challenging trying to cover the leaders in round one and two when they all could have a ball in the air at the same time. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you know, we go from, we go from zero to 60 in the, in the snap of a finger, you know, we, it's like nothing's happening. And then at 1115, everything's happening. Um, and then that's, you know, it's pedal to the metal for four and a half hours with just golf everywhere, golf on the golf course. And you know, then it's done. So there's no, there's no, this like slow build where, you know, you, you, 
you watch golf on TV and it's all oh, the leaders aren't going to tee off for another two hours. And, oh, there might be somebody out on the golf course now that's 12 over par and, and you know, made a couple of birdies. So let's show them or a name player that may have not played well the first two rounds. And but they're out on the golf course now. So we're going to show that. But still, you know, it's still an hour before the leaders tee off. And it's still a half an hour before the leaders tee off. With us, everybody tees off at the same time. So everybody's on the golf course. And you're right. You know, you're paying close attention. You still pay as a producer. I still play close, close attention to the stars. You know, guys like Brooks and Phil and DJ and Cam. And, um, but at the same time, if they're not in contention, you got to go where the leaders are. And, you know, we try and do that. Luckily, we have more than 70 cameras out on the golf course. We have the ability to show every shot on every hole. Um, we have, you know, 20 recording devices that are back in the trucks and that, that, that are, you know, recording every shot in case I don't get to something live. I know it's somewhere, somewhere in the truck on a tape machine. There is that shot. So that gets sold to me and I try and weave that in and this jigsaw puzzle that is live golf. And, but again, the beauty of it is we only ask you, the viewer, for a four hour commitment a four hour and 15 minute commitment. You don't have to be watching golf all day long. You can watch for four and a half hours and see all the shots, and see all the scores. And it hasn't happened yet, but it, we got close a couple of times where the winner of the golf tournament on Sunday could come not on the 18th hole. The winning putt could be on any hole on the golf course. So far in our 11 events, the winner has always finished on 18. Um, and that's because as we've talked about before on Sunday, we do a modified shotgun start where the last two groups. So the best six scores tee off one. So the likelihood of a winner coming on 18 is obviously better than not. But, uh, Lee Westwood almost won an event last year when he finished on the third hole. So, um, we have to keep an eye on that too. That it depends. That's again, it's the fun part of the shotgun start. Because if a guy is making a run and he knows that he's got three relatively easy holes to finish on, he could, you know, win the golf tournament on the third hole. So, like I said, it hasn't happened yet, but uh, the expectation is that one of these weeks it will. So let's let's take a little bit of a bent on that 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 concept because, as you mentioned, you may have a guy out there that's not playing well. He could be twelve over par, but because of the team concept, that guy could still be important to the team getting the team win, not just the individual win. So a guy 12 over can't just go in the tank and figure, hey, you know what, this is, this, this stinks. I'm not, I'm not playing well this week. You know, I'm just trying to get out of here because if the other three guys on his team are playing really, really well, a couple of birdies down the stretch from that guy are still important. That's exactly right. And that's the beauty of it. We think, again, the critics hate it, um, but we think that's another part of the beauty of this concept is that you're right. Nobody is out of the golf tournament, regardless of their scores, you know, um, throughout the course of the week. So, you know, there's four players on a team, three scores count every day. So you could contribute on Friday, not play well on Saturday, but then again, be part of the team story on Sunday. So, um, that's a huge draw. And it's one of the things that, that the players that, play for the live golf league love the most about the concept is that there's always something to play for. And, you know, the, the, the team thing, you know, it's, 
we hope it's it's catching on with the fans. You know, we know that there are some folks that like it, but it, you know, on the ground in the locker room out here at these events, it's one of the things that these great players love the best about it because there's you know this camaraderie among the four players, and they know that hey, you know, you might have had a bad day yesterday, but don't worry about it. I know you're going to compete tomorrow. So um, you're right; it's not like a normal event where you're just playing out the string. Your birdie on the 16th hole could mean the difference between being first place on the podium or being fourth place and not on the podium. And, you know, being on the podium comes with, uh, with some pretty healthy scratch too. So out here on live golf. So it's important for all these guys to know and, and compete every day. Keith, one more before I let you go and switch topics, but, uh, I'm going to get greedy and say, I'm really looking forward to book number six. I know you're awfully busy flying hither and yon, particularly you know, during golf season. But how's book number six coming? Well, I appreciate you asking that question. It is actually finished. It is at Beacon Publishing Group right now. They uh, The editors are going over it with a fine-tooth comb, making sure I got every period and comma in the right place. And, uh, and they're working on the cover art. But it is the sequel to Murphy Murphy in the Case of Serious Crisis. This one is... Murphy Murphy and the case of the commission on cliches. So, uh, our intrepid detective is back as, as, as are our friends, Mitch and Matthew Lawrence, who I know are, uh, are joining you as well on the show. So, uh, we're, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm hoping it's going to be in the next three to four weeks that we're going to have a published, a publishing date for Murphy Murphy. Um, and I'll let you know, but then I'm already working on, you're right. I'm, I'm pretty busy and I'm, it's hard to find time to write, but, uh, I am working on the sequel to, uh, Song Girl. So expect CT Mascaro to, uh, to reemerge on oh. the pages of a Keith Hirschland novel, uh, sometime probably in the next 12 to 18 months. But, uh, you know, I'm, I love writing. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love producing golf. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. You know, I'm doing two things that I, you know, I I couldn't be more happy doing. So I'm not going to stop writing, even though I'm pretty busy with this live golf stuff. That's awesome. I can't wait to read it. Keith, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. Let our listeners know how can they go out and get any one of the current five books and then follow you on your website and on social media. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, keithhirschland.com. Um all one word, or I'm an, uh, you know, all the books are available on Amazon. I'm less, less and less on social media these days because as you can appreciate, it's not a real fun place to be a lot of time. Um, but I am at KAH author on, uh, on Twitter. And I, you know, I just would really want to thank you. First of all, I wish you a happy birthday because today I'm celebrating your birthday, even though you won't celebrate <laughs> it until tomorrow. Um, and, and just tell you how much I appreciate your friendship. Most of all. Um, your belief in, in me and, and, you know, your, your, your even handedness, I will say that about live golf. You know, I, like we've talked about before, I appreciate the fact that people don't like it, but all I ask is that you give us a chance. If you watch and still don't like it, fine. Thanks for giving it a chance, but don't just immediately discount us without giving it a try. That's all I'd ask. 100%. Exactly right. Keith, thank you so much for taking time, like I say, out of your schedule. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. You are absolutely one of my all-time favorite people on this planet. Well, the, I feel the same. And uh, anytime you want to chat, I'm, I'll, I'll be at your service, sir. Thank you very much. 
<laughs> I appreciate that. Take care, Keith. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Same, Chris. Thanks. See you, Keith. That is the great Keith Hirschland, a finer human being on this planet you will not find. He's doing so many great things now with, with Live Golf and the, and the broadcast and all that sort of stuff. And I get people's angst, but like he said, give it a shot. Take a look at it. I, I, friends that went to see the tournament in Orlando and they loved it, had a great time. So give it a shot. Listen to it. Watch it. Go, go see it if it's near you and, and see what you think. But, you know, let's make judgments based on what we see in real life and not the negativity that goes out there on, on social media. Um, but beyond all of that, Keith Hirschland is just one of the, the great people you get to meet in this life. And I'm very honored that I got to spend a little more time with him. I'm looking forward to the privilege of doing that again really soon. Before I get to my next guest, Mitch Lawrence, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number 2. UNDR.com. Two under performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean too, so spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scony.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. All right. Now back in next on the tee with me is another one of the favorite people that I've gotten to meet through this show, and that is Mitch Lawrence. For years, Mitch hosted a great podcast of his own called Talking Golf Getaways. He is one of the great experts on Hickory Golf Clubs and the history of the game. When people ask me, who would you put in your dream foursome? Well, Mitch Lawrence and his brother Matthew are certainly two of those people. And like I said about John Patrick last week, it is true for Mitch as well. Our game is better because Mitch Lawrence is involved with it. And I'm honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Mitch, how are you, my friend? Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> how are you, Mitch? I'm I'm doing great. And I was saying that every time I'm on this show, when you introduce me, uh, I I couldn't possibly explain to people what a warm feeling it is and how glad I am to know you and be your friend and have a chance to talk to you. I can't put it any other way. No, I appreciate that very much. The feeling is All right, before we before we get started. Okay. I know you're a big fan of Pebble Beach. I am. And you love the Pebble Beach tournament. I do. And all all the history. Yes. So I have something special that I recorded. 
Uh-oh. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Bing. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Chris. Happy birthday to you. Chris, this is Bing Crosby. Just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> Hope you have a great day tomorrow, my friend. Keep I appreciate playing. you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I wouldn't dare sing it myself, but I figure if I hide behind somebody, it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> and it did. Thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate it. Happy birthday, you. man. Thank you. <laughs> so, Mitch, um, I want to get you a thought. Um, earlier in the show, Tom Patry and I were kicking around greatest players of all time, and there's arguments to be had for lots of different players. And we, and Tom and I are certainly going to go at it between Jack and Tiger. Um, but want to get your thoughts. You're a great historian. Who are who are the top five players in history in your mind? Oh, well, I this is too tough a question. Top five is too tough a question as far as the history part goes. What I will say, and this we'll talk about this part in a little bit, but I'm going to, if it's okay with you. Sure. Uh, you say I'm a great historian. I am not. I am somebody who is interested in the history of the game, for sure. Not even close. But uh, you and I are going to talk about a trip I took to Pinehurst last week, yes. last week with two of the actual great golf historians I've ever been around. Stephen Proctor, who's an author, uh, who I'll talk to you about, and Tim Alpaw. And both of them together, and I described it to some friends of mine as spending three days feeling like a kid in kindergarten in a room full of PhDs. And being with Stephen and Tim is is really, in terms of golf history, I, I can't even explain the knowledge that these two guys have. So I say that by way of saying that I'm just somebody who's interested in the game. So I would say, and I don't know about top five, not top five, uh, but prior to Bobby Jones, where golf kind of exploded here, um, the great golfers that made up the early history of the game were first from Scotland, which makes sense, uh, and then from England, which followed. And thanks to, in large part, because people know, if anybody has kind of an awareness of the history of the game, they'll know about the famous names of the game. And the famous names, you know, early on being obviously Old Tom and Young Tom. Uh, the first two great names in the game. And I don't want to kind of get into any of that stuff. Uh, but they, what they might not be as aware of are the other great players who came first. And I'm just going to, I'm not going the greatest because to me, there's no way to do it. It's, you know, we can talk in this era about and, uh, Tiger and Jack and have that debate. Because that's pretty, they're separate from all the other great players based on number of events, one based on majors, that kind of stuff. But there were so many interesting, incredible players early on. And for you and for anybody listening, if you just close your eyes and try to imagine playing golf in the conditions of the 1800s and early 1900s with hickory clubs 
with shaggy fairways and greens, with balls that didn't fly, and all of that, that's the part that I concentrate on. And so the guys that I have come to kind of learn about, some of them recently, um, and people may have heard of, and I would certainly put uh, the guys that are called the Great Triumvirate, you know, and I think people may have heard of them. Certainly Harry Varden, people know about um, because of the a lot of people know about him only because of Francis Wimet in the 1913 Open. Uh, but Harry Varden, who won the Open six times and the U.S. Open in 1900. Ted Ray won the Open in 1912 and the U.S. Open in 1920. Uh, and James Braid, who I have. I love Harry Varden and Ted Ray for different reasons, which I won't really go into here. But if people want to read and get to know about them, they're they're just ridiculously great figures in the game. Um, I especially, for some reason, was even though I love Harry Varden and his story, Ted Ray always fascinated me. They were both from a small town in England called Jersey. These two guys who were iconic came from the same town. Ted Ray was a big, burly kind of guy who played with a pipe in his mouth and, you know, wearing a jacket. We look at the players today wearing their stretch things and you know, joggers and everything. Ted Ray played in a heavy kind of wool jacket with a pipe in his mouth and a hat and would routinely hit the ball 300 yards. Literally, routinely hit the ball 300 yards. And there are stories about when he and Varden and Ray came over and did a very famous tour of the United States um, before that open against Francis Wimet. And there are stories about Ted Ray at East Lake, and he teed off, and I can't remember which hole it was, but they had people, there were big crowds that followed these guys. And Ted Ray got up and he hit a drive and nobody could see it. They literally couldn't see it. And then they realized that he had hit it, whatever the distance, 50 yards by anybody they had ever seen hit a ball. Wow. So it bounced in a place that they had never seen anybody hit it to. And he did it all the time. And so he was one of my favorites. But James Braid, great Scotsman who won five Open Championships early on. But also any of your listeners who have been to Scotland and may have had, and this is what really started to get to me, was getting to play courses that were designed. And we all know about old Tom Morris and the courses he designed. But James Braid designed a whole ton of courses. So if you go to Glen Eagles, where they played the Ryder Cup, but on the modern course, and you get to play Glen Eagles King's course, which Braid designed, or you go to Brora in the Highlands, I think you've probably heard about Brora, um, where there are still sheep on the fairway and animals out there. And, and these courses, which are virtually untouched, are really when you begin to understand the effect that these guys had on the game. So... I would say those guys, there's a couple other just to throw names out who I love. And I came to know about this guy through Stephen Proctor. And Stephen's first book was called Monarch of the Green about young Tom Morris, which is both his books are absolutely phenomenal. If you like writing about golf, not just about history, but someone who's a great writer and grabs you and takes you through these eras. Stephen Proctor is the guy. His first book was about Tom Morris, young Tom. 
The second one was called, is called The Long Golden Afternoon. And it's about the people who followed young Tom Morris when, when he died at 25, tragically, through the early part of the 1900s. And the guys that came after him and literally changed the game. And those are the ones that I never knew about, Chris. And I've read about, you know, a lot of golfers, but I had never heard of these guys. So rather than get into a whole long dissertation about the history of the game, <laughs> my my favorite guy who I found out about through Stephen, he has an unbelievable part of the long golden afternoon, is a guy named John Ball Jr. Do you know who John Ball Jr. is? I do not. Okay. John Ball Jr. And in a way, this he may be. And there are a lot of great, great Scottish and English players and players in the United States, which I won't go into now. But over there, there was, you know, the professionals were the guys who were winning all the early open championships. And John Ball Jr., who was an Englishman and was the first Englishman and the first amateur to win the open championship. And the change that made, which I wasn't aware of until I read Stephen's book, this was in 1890. Now, he also, oh, by the way, won eight British amateurs between 1888 and 1912. Eight. Of wow. Them. And then when, I, when he won the Open and was the first amateur and the first Englishman, that opened the floodgates. And golf tra started traveling down through England from Scotland. And so those kind of changes to me are the exciting ones. And also he was... Uh, you know, you read about and there's another guy named Freddie Tate. There's a guy named George Duncan, who I got to love reading about. Um, George Duncan was this big, tall guy and reportedly was the fastest player to play the game. He was literally known for being the fastest player to play the game. So I think of him now if I watch I won't name names, but if I watch some players on the tour now who take a long time, <laughs> you know, I won't mention names. <laughs> but then I go back and I think of people like George Duncan, who was literally known for being the fastest guy to play. He had no he didn't waste any time, period. So <laughs> anyway, those are just kind of random thoughts off the top of my head. I would I would suggest people get Stephen's book, The Long Golden Afternoon and and learn something about it. There you go. All right. So let's talk about the other thing that you alluded to, because you spent mm -hmm. some time over at Pinehurst and Tobacco Road and the the pictures you've taken from that trip are absolutely stunning. Talk about the trip that you just came off from. Well, there's a there's a connection. I got to, as I said, spend three days with three of my absolute favorite people. And I know all of us who are on social media, there's a lot of negative stuff. There's a lot of things we're not crazy about. But the great thing to me about social media is the connections that you make with people who are of like mind. And especially in the game. And three of those people um, are Stephen Proctor, as I said, the author, uh, Tim Alpaw, who's on Instagram at Claret Dreamer. Uh, Tim is also an author. He wrote a wonderful book called Claret Dreams, but he is a master craftsman. He's a carpenter by trade although he was in the world of finance before, but he's a carpenter by trade and then got into uh, the hickory world. And he's a, a master hickory craftsman, a restorer of old clubs. Uh, he makes tremendous divot repair tools that are really creative out of wood. He's just a fabulous guy. And he, again, is another 
absolute gem of a historian and a great person, both he and Stephen. And then also with Jason Bruno. Uh, I don't know if you know Jason Bruno. He's on um, Twitter and Instagram at Links Nation. And Jason is fascinating. He knows as much about the modern game as Stephen and Tim know about the historic game. Uh, he's a, a incredible traveler. His website, which is linksnation.com, uh, is full of equipment and course reviews and just everything that you love about somebody who really knows the game. And he started off and still is in the world of turf, you know, superintendents and very connected to the people who make the courses we play wonderful places to go. So all of this wrapped together were three guys who I spent three days and nights in a house with. And I can't begin to tell you, any of us who've been on buddy trips kind of deals, this was this was an absolute gem of a trip to Pinehurst. So um, we all went, uh, got to play Southern Pines. I don't know how familiar you are with Southern Pines. Um, it's an old Donald Ross course. He first laid out holes there in 1906. Uh, and... It was, it opened as a full course, I think, in either 23 or 24. And for a long time, now think about golf being played in Pinehurst and Donald Ross, one of his first layouts, and then proceed ahead. And in 1951, uh, it was sold to a guy, a local guy in Southern Pines, which is where it is. And then it uh, came under the ownership and management of the Elks Club, if you can believe that. Wow. And for various reasons, they had it until just very recently. Uh, so the first time I got to play it, and this just shows you, here are the connections. Uh, and this will take you to Tobacco Road, where we also played. Um, but Mark Stewart, who is the owner of Tobacco Road and an absolute treasure of a human being. I could spend an entire show with you talking about how great Mark Stewart is. But uh, we're good friends, and I've played different places with him. And one day we were going to meet up, kind of looking for a place in between um, Myrtle Beach and Pinehurst. And then he said, speaking of Pinehurst, have you played Southern Pines? This was probably three years ago now. And I said, no. And I really wasn't aware of it. And most people weren't because it was run by the Elks. And frankly, it wasn't in great shape. It was just kind of a rundown property. And he said, okay, meet me at Southern Pines. So I did. And we walked this course. And even though it was not in great shape and kind of run down and the clubhouse was run down, I won't go any further. The core, the bones of this course blew me away, totally blew me away. And the fact that I hadn't even heard about it. So fast forward, uh, Kelly Miller, who is part of the great, uh, Peggy Kirk Bell family who uh, heads up Pine Needles and Mid Pines, has been eyeing Southern Pines to kind of complete a Donald Ross triumvirate, you know, in Pine in the Pinehurst area for a number of years. And just recently, uh, they now Kelly uh, and the group manage Southern Pines, uh, and they will take full ownership soon. I'm not sure of those dates. Um, so the course has been redone in a lot of ways already. Trees have been removed and the green complexes have been worked on and and it is now just an absolute gem. 
And so I got to play it before the renovation and restoration and then last week. And uh, it's it's everything you want in a golf course. It has unbelievable elevation changes. The green complexes are exactly what you'd expect from Donald Ross. Uh, it's a challenging golf course, but it is absolutely visually beautiful. Uh, I think a lot of people haven't had it on their Pinehurst list because there are obviously so many great places to play. But uh, So I give credit to Mark Stewart for opening my eyes. Uh, they're going to have... Uh, Kyle Franz, who did the restoration work on mid pines and pine needles, both, which are, if, if your listeners haven't been there, you absolutely have to get to the courses at Pinehurst Resort are very famous, but mid pines and pine needles are just spectacular. So we got to play Southern Pines one day. Uh, Tim and Stephen, who are hickory players as I am, as you know. Three of us playing our hickories, which was really great. And Jason, who's a modern guy, was just bombing. Jason is a player. Jason could really play. And so we got to Southern Pines. He played his moderns from the back tees. And we moved up and played it from the forward tees and had an absolute blast. And the next day we went to uh, Tobacco Road, which, as you know, is, I don't know, to me, heaven on earth for a whole lot of reasons. Um, and Mark. Stewart was gracious, and Morgan Stevenson, who's the head super there, they do an unbelievable job. And uh, the tandem of an old Donald Ross course and Tobacco Road, which was Mike Strand's, you know, one of his masterpieces, certainly, but that pays a lot of debt to the old-time designers. Uh, it's a great combination, absolutely wonderful combination. Mitch, I got to switch gears. Uh, on you a little bit because I, I I saw something that you posted. Speaking of all the great places that you've had an opportunity to go play, and looking back at the Masters and and the terrible weather conditions that they had on Friday and Saturday, you played in similar conditions last year at Aiken Golf Club, and then said <laughs> it was one of the most fun rounds you've ever played. How could that be? Well, I, I've played, any of us who've traveled and played, I've been lucky enough to go to Scotland five or six times, played in all kinds of weather, horrible weather, rain, the whole thing. Uh, played at Bandon and with Darren, who I co-hosted the podcast with, and Brian Orr and Jason Deegan uh, from Golf Pass. And the four of us played Pacific Gales in an absolute I don't even know what to call it because it had all weather that you, I mean, it literally hailed, rained, sun, uh, flurries of snow, 50 mile an hour winds. It was completely nuts. So I played in a lot of different weather. Every time it's turned out to be, my wife always says this, if you go on a trip and everything runs perfectly, you may have a great time, but it's not really memorable. It's the times that are off the board, weird strange, strange things happen. Those are the times you remember. So the round at Pacific Dunes with Darren and Brian and Jason will always be one of the great days we've ever had on a golf course. I mean, I putted on Pacific Dunes, one of the par fives. I putted from 108 yards off one of the greens because the wind was that strong behind us. And we just, the, the laughs that we had were stupid. So this round at Aiken, I have played Aiken and had played it before. And I had a very good friend of mine, um, Sarah Stewart, her name is. She's on uh, Instagram. A lot of people follow her. She's Canadian. She's a doctor. She's a golf fanatic. 
and works hard. She's a traveling doctor, works hard and saves her money and then goes all over the place, all over the world to play golf. So she was coming to the Masters and she was going to the Monday after the Masters in Myrtle Beach. She drove all over the place. And I said, okay, if you're going to be in Augusta, I got to meet you at Aiken because it's one of my favorite places on the planet. So we set up to meet at Aiken and I, I've known her for a long time on social media and I had never met her. So we meet at Aiken and it is like 10 o'clock in the morning and it is absolutely pouring. And I mean, when I say pouring, I'm not talking about just a little rain. So we get there and I said to her, you sure you want to do this? And she said, absolutely. Not even close. So we go into the pro shop. We tell the guys we want to go play. There's literally nobody on the golf course. I was sure that they were going to say, no, I'm sorry. The greens are flooded or the these guys and Aiken people have to go to Aiken. It's the it's one of the best municipal golf courses you'll ever play. And the, the people that run it are insanely great. So the guy behind the counter says, says to us, you sure you want to go out in this? And we went, oh, yeah, we're going. So he said, fine, be our guest. Go ahead. We So we said, fine, we get out there. And on the first tee, I'm standing on the first tee and there's lightning and there's it's just it's pouring. It's a deluge. And so Sarah and I, we went around. And I, when I say it might be the most fun I've had, I'm not kidding, because you know this, Chris, it's all about your attitude. You have so many people on your show that talk about your attitude on the golf course. And we just both said we are fully embracing this, whatever it is. And so we were hitting shots. We hit some great shots in the rain. Uh, there was water all over the place, fairways, greens, putted through the water on the greens. And we kept waiting for them to come out and get us, and they never did. And the only time we went inside for any time at all was on my phone. I got a notice that had a tornado warning on. It. Oh, and I said, OK, I think maybe we should go inside for a little while. <laughs> and we were both completely soaked. I had full rain gear on. It totally didn't matter. I was soaked. So was Sarah. We went inside. She changed clothes. I got a different shirt. We sat down for a little while, and then we went back out, and we finished 18. <laughs> so I, I'm just one of those that goes embrace the whole thing, embrace the whole stinking thing. <laughs> if they let us out, we're going to play. So <laughs> I'm awful. glad you caught that, though. It was, yeah. it was fun. <laughs> I One more before I let you go, and I got to get some insider information from you. My buddies and I, we're coming over to Myrtle Beach for our buddies trip this year. We're going to be playing Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and then True Blue Country Club. You got to give me a little insider information. How do I beat these guys? What what, What's a a piece that you know about those two uh, wonderful courses that I can use as uh, insider information and get a, a little edge on them? Okay, well, I right off the bat, I've been in Myrtle Beach for... 25 years living here, but about 30-something working in Myrtle Beach. Um, there are obviously great courses all over, and I could name a bunch of them. But Caledonia, if I had to pick one course to play, above all, Caledonia would be my course. I'm a big Mike Strands guy, have been since the first time I ever heard about him, which was way back when Caledonia was being built. So I saw it before it was even open to the public. And I, Caledonia is just, 
to me, heaven on earth. It's the best low country example of playing golf down here that you'll find. Uh, visually, it's absolutely stunning. It's Mike Strand. It's not long, but uh, the green complexes are great. Um, as far as beating those guys, I'm trying to think, Chris, because it's the course is kind of right in front of you. You know, there's not much at this point. He's, he did different things at Tobacco Road and Royal New Kent and Toddhill Farm and other courses. But Caledonia is right in front of you. I think maybe a good strategy is to keep saying to these guys, take a look around you. <laughs> Get them to look elsewhere than the golf course. <laughs> and you kind of just focus on the shots in front of you because they're there. The shots are there in front of you. All right. True Blue, awesome. True Blue is, uh, he built that course. He went away after Caledonia and then he came back and built True Blue. And uh, Caledonia is kind of intimate. It's an intimate golf course. True Blue is big and bold. Uh, as a matter of fact, when he first built True Blue, it was so big and bold and so hard that they came back in and reworked it. And took a little bit of the sting out of the golf course, but it still has a lot in it. Um, that one is just, is just, again, it's there in front of you, but it's big. It's a big, big golf course. So you're going to love both of them. I'm so excited that you're coming down here. When are you coming? We'll be there the 8th through the 11th of June. I'm going to make sure I come out there at some point and say hi. I hope so. I hope okay, so. well, I hope I, I'm not coming yeah. all the way out there and I don't get to see Mitch Lawrence. No, no, you're good. Don't worry. That's not that is not happening. And at Caledonia, which has one of the great porches in the clubhouse overlooking the 18th green. Yeah. So you can sit out there and watch guys come in and women come in and, you know, cheer and yell and hoot and holler. It's an absolutely <laughs> spectacular spot. And I will certainly be there to watch you come up 18. Ah, I hope so. I will be the Christmas Carol fan club. <laughs> Mitch, before I let you go, let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on social media. Uh, pretty much Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is at Mitch Lawrence. It's L-A-U-R-A-N-C-E. And Instagram is at Mitch underscore Lawrence one. And those are the two places. And I, uh, I'm certainly not interacting as much as I did when Darren and I had talking golf getaways. Um, but I still put up a bunch of stuff and, uh, I love sharing it and I love meeting people through that, you know, the social media aspect of that. Certainly. Well, Mitch, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. As you know, Matthew is up next and he told me that he's glad he's going last because he's got some things he wants to clear up for my listeners. So I'm a little oh, nervous. Geez. Oh, I'm a little geez. nervous about unmuting his line. I got to be honest. Wait a minute. If you're nervous, how do you think I feel? <laughs> but before I go again, I, I listened to your segment with Tom and with Keith, both of them, unbelievably great guys. Um, and all of us feel the same way about you. And you know that by now. And I hope your listeners get it, uh, fully get it, because all of us are so grateful for who you are and how supportive and positive you are. At every turn, it's it's we've all known it for a while, but there really is nobody else like you, Chris. And I just I appreciate you. I love you. I'm I'm happy for your success and I'll do anything I can to give you even more of it as we go. I can't tell you how much that means to me. And I'm so 
grateful that Mitch Lawrence even knows who Chris Mascaro is. And you're, no, a, get out. Get out. you're a wonderful human being, and, and I love you right back. <laughs> okay, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take Say care, hi to Mitch. my brother. I will. See okay. you, Mitch. Goodbye. That is the great Mitch Lawrence, folks. And like I say, he is just one of the great people you get to meet in this life, as is his brother, Matthew, though I, I am sincere. I'm a little nervous about unmuting Matthew's phone line, but Mitch has been a wonderful supporter. He's been a, a great mentor to me over the years and just somebody that I adore. And I'm so privileged that he has come on the show now 21, 21. He's 13 times, 13 times he's come on the show. And every one of those has been a gem and I'm thankful for it. And looking forward to catching up with him again uh, when I'm up, up there, actually, to see his face and to be able to say hello to him in person is going to be a huge thrill, too. So looking forward to that. Okay, before I do the unthinkable and unmute Matthew Lawrence's line, I want to remind you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability, featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology. Precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to adelgolf.com. And folks, do you sway in your off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried squares? Try the new Speed Bolt at squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z dot com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses. Caledonia Golf and Fish Club, and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strands designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. All right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to press the unmute button on Matthew's line. Now joining me is Matthew Lawrence, one of my all-time favorite actors, radio hosts, and people on the planet as well. You yeah, guys whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Go ahead. Can I finish? Yeah, go on. Can I? All right. You yeah. guys hear me talk about Matthew Show Backspin Golf all the time because it's fantastic and a great way to start your Sunday mornings. You can stream Matthew Show by going online to WLXG.com. Also does a daily show that you can listen to on your lunch break. It is appropriately called the Matthew Lawrence Show. and in 2020, Matthew was recognized by the Kentucky section of the PGA of America as their media representative of the year for his great contributions to the game. Among Matthew's other works on the big screen is his stellar performance as bass player Sal Amato in my all-time favorite movie, Eddie and the Cruisers. You've seen him on Saturday Night Live, Beverly Hills 90210, One Tree Hill, 30-something, and a thousand other shows. He's also been the sideline reporter and the pre and post game host for Duke basketball, now Kentucky basketball, and they don't come bigger or better than Matthew Lawrence. Hello, my friend. Okay. Is that it? That's Are it. You... That's all it. Right. I, that's all I got. All right. Now, uh, it's kind of hard for me to know where to even start, but this is, this is, first of all, 
to I understand tomorrow's your birthday. Right. And I guess, you know, the four of us that are on this particular episode of Next on the T are honored that you chose us for your pre-birthday podcast. Thank you. I mean, I can't speak for the other three. I'm a little honored. A little? A little? Okay. So here's what I'm thinking. Okay. So you have these three guys, Tom Patrick, Keith Hirschland, and my older brother, Mitch Lawrence, who is four minutes older than I am, who I just listened to him. I've been listening and I just listened to him go through in 20 or 25 minutes the entire history of golf. I, it, it was on, un- I just sat there and went, who is this guy? Who uh, I go, we shared bunk beds for 18 years and I have no idea who he is. But anyway, so my feeling is, and all three of them are experts of the highest order of what they're talking about. Tom, as a, you know, one of the great teachers of golf of all time, Keith, one of the giants of the broadcasting industry, my brother, one of the great uh, historians of the game, whether he says so or not. And I'm like the court jester here. (laughs) That's that's who I am. And uh, in a way, I feel really good about it because everybody needs a little humor in their lives as opposed to just excellence like those three guys brought before me. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, we all need it. We all need levity in our lives and you're the bringer of the levity. I'm the levity bringer is a good (laughs) title for me. Now, here's something else I'm going to say. If I hear one more time about, look, we all know Chris Mascaro is the single most positive person on this planet today. In the face of negativity like we most of us have never seen in our lives, Chris Mascaro is the definition of positivity. And Obviously, it's just an amazing. I, I don't. I still can't figure out how you do it. But uh, I said something to you before we did the show. I think it was yesterday. I I can't believe that you have somehow conned people into believing that tomorrow is your birthday. When you you yourself said you may have five or six of these during the year. <laughs> I, 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 it's I'm stumped. Chris, I'm, I just, you know, you know what I feel like? I feel like I am Don Rickles now at a roast of somebody that everybody loves. That's who I am. The court jester who's going to come up and just, oh, I can't do it. Wow. It's, your birthday, oh, it's your birthday tomorrow. I can't. Right. You, I have, you, you I can't. Have, really? I have, no, I can't do it. I'm sorry. But. <laughs> Uh, and before I let you, I don't know if you were even going to ask me a question. I'm just <laughs> going here. Uh, but here's another interesting thing about twins. Mitchell and I did not discuss at all. Uh, we, you know, we obviously knew we were going to be on the same show. Something that I have been doing. This is on my children's lives. The truth. 
I have been doing this for people's birthdays for years. I mean, years. And here's what it is. You ready? And I'm going to do it. And then I'll talk about what my brother did and how messed up it was because he was on first. You ready? Okay. Okay. Here it is. Frank, come here. Come here, Frank. Okay. Go ahead. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. All right. That's enough, Frank. Thanks. <laughs> now, that's it? I don't get the rest. I have, I have, this is the truth. I have friends that have saved my voice message with me singing Frank Sinatra doing happy birthday from when we first got cell phones. Basically, <laughs> that's how long I've been doing it. And I was so excited I could do it with you. And then my brother comes on and Bing Crosby shows up <laughs> there. It's unbelievable. Upstaging it really you again. He's done it my entire life, Chris. My entire life. Anyway, did you have a question for me? Wow, I don't know how to get back to anything golf related after that. Something about golf? I mean, you know. Well, let me ask you this. Yes, yes. Yesterday, a guy tweeted that the Mm -hmm. ticket guy he sees every day baffled him because one day they talk and get along great. The next day, the guy won't even say hello to him. And it turns out that's because twins work there. And you responded saying that you and Mitch used to do that all the time. Where did you do that? It just made me laugh. That whole thing. It's not exactly the same time, but. The perfect example is, um, quickly, I went to acting school when I got through with college. I was going to be an actor. Mitch didn't decide to be an actor for about five years or six years. And then he decided he wanted to be an actor, too. And we went through periods of our careers that were very difficult. Um, We didn't talk for a long time because, uh, you know, you're in a business that it depends on a lot on your looks and you're competing for jobs with somebody that looks exactly like you. it was very difficult. And I think it br- we were dealing with things from our childhood that we never even knew. We always loved each other, but it was very hard. And so when Mitch uh, was on an incredible show called Not Necessarily the News. Uh, and I would go out to L.A. and he was living out there doing the show. And then later when I was on, uh, I got I was on a series called Duet on Fox and he wasn't not necessarily the news was over. People would come up to us at different points in our careers. And so somebody would say to me, Man, I love you on that show, not necessarily the news. And the first time somebody does it, you go, uh, that's, it's not me. It's my brother, Mitch. Oh, and by the 10th person in one night that does it, you're pretty angry. <laughs> it brings up all this stuff. Why is my brother working and I'm not working? 
And the same thing for him. People would come up to him and say, I love that show duet. And by the 10th person. And so depending on where they were in that line of people, they would go, God, I met this guy the other day and I thought he was great. And then I saw him like the next day and he was the biggest jackass that I ever saw. I mean, it was it, it was almost exactly what that person said to some degree. Um, it's, you know, identical twins are are we're uh, we're we're a species unto ourselves, I guess I'll say. But he, um, you know, obviously he's the best person I know on Earth. And, um, you know. Uh, we're we're getting up there in age, and it's it's truly the biggest blessing in the world that we're both still here. And he at least has his mind. My mind is not not that great <laughs> right now. But you know, at least I have him around to tell me my mind isn't that great. So, which is that's nice. how I look at it. Yeah, it's a good thing. He posted a picture of the two of you along with Jim Beheim and PJ Carlissimo. When yes. were you guys hanging out with those guys? Oh, Chris, we've, you know, we've talked before about this. Um, one of the great things about like speaking with you on Next on the T or um, anything like this is it, it reminds me of what an incredibly blessed life I've had. And I know Mitch feels the same way. Um, we have gotten to do things and meet people that most people don't get to do. And all because of golf, by the way, all of it is because of golf. Where we grew up, we used to beat the crap out of guys that played golf. We were from New York. Nobody played golf. Uh, well, are you kidding me? And because of the game of golf, which Mitch started playing first, and then our acting careers, we were invited. We started getting invited to these celebrity golf tournaments, and um, I've played all over the world in those. And in, in I don't even know how many we I played in, but um, this is actually a, a, a great story. If you have a minute, uh, yeah, we, we got a oh, minute. Okay, um, that picture I want to say is from boy either it's hard to know which tournament that was from it we used to play in one in wilmington north carolina another one in hilton head and these guys there was like a, a whole group of us that played in all of them and i got to know pj uh and Beheim first uh mitchell and i got to know uh pj Beheim first we went to play in a tournament in hilton head and we walked into the party on Friday night and we looked and at this table were PJ and Jim Beheim and um, I think Jim Calhoun, although I'm not sure about that one, and Valvano, Jim Valvano. And Jim Valvano had recruited Mitchell and I when we were in high school. And he used to, he was at Rutgers and he used to come every Saturday to practice and sit with our father. And our dad loved him. I mean, and he wanted us to go to Rutgers really badly. Anyway, we show up at this party and we stand at the doorway and there's PJ and Bayheim, who we didn't know, and Valvano. And it was 20 years after he recruited us. And so 
We said something like, do you think he'd remember us? I said to Mitchell, and he said, well, let's go over and say hello. So we walked over to the table, and we're standing there, and they had had a few drinks, all of them. And we looked at Jim, and one of us said to him, Coach, uh, this is Mitchell. I'm Matthew. Uh, we don't know if you'd remember us, but – and Valvano goes, remember you? How many sets of white Jewish twins do you think I recruited? <laughs> <laughs> and and from there, we spent the whole weekend together. And that's where we got friendly with PJ and Bayheim. And that was, I'll tell you the year, it was 1988. So we've known them since then, um, both PJ and, and Bo, uh, and along with, you know, so many other people that we've gotten to know because of golf and playing in these um, golf tournaments. So there's a picture that you posted of you and Elton John. I can't imagine you guys got together over a golf tournament. How'd you get no. to know Elton? <laughs> no, that that's a pretty good uh, thought, Chris. You would be right in that. I did not meet Elton at a golf tournament. Um, this is, that's amazing too. Um, when I was in L.A., I had a manager named Mike Hewitson who was English. And before he came to L.A. to be a manager, he was Elton's right-hand man for a very long time. And uh, he came to me one day. I was doing the show Duet on Fox. And he came to me and told me that uh, Elton was coming to town and uh, he was going to you know, do a concert. And we were going to go to the concert. And I said, you know, I loved Elton. I said, fantastic. And Mike said to me, I'm going to warn you, he has a crush on you. (laughs) And I said, what? He said, he loves duet. He absolutely loves watching that show and he thinks you're great. So I'm just telling you, he's got a crush on you. And I went, yeah, okay, whatever. We went to the concert. And before the concert, we went downstairs uh, under the, I think, the forum at that time. And he introduced me to Elton. And Elton walked over to me and hugged me, just put his arms around me and hugged me. I looked at Mike and I kind of went, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. He started laughing. And it it turned into a whole thing. And uh, that I think that it wasn't that concert that picture came from. Elton is in his Beethoven wig and all that. But it was around that time, one of those. And I got to spend quite a few nights uh, with Elton when he was in L.A. because of Mike. And again, just I'm incredibly blessed with the, the people that I know. He actually sang. Uh, at the Hollywood Bowl, called me up to the front of the stage and laid down on the stage in front of me, resting his head on his hand and sang, sorry seems to be the hardest word, right to me at, wow. the, Holly- at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, pretty amazing. Yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. So. Speaking of shows or the show of shows. You yeah. tweeted out a while back about your relationship with Carl Reiner. Talk about the influence he had on you. Oh, boy. Oh, Chris. Um, 
we grew up in a house where we listened. My parents, my mom listened to Frank Sinatra, uh, Ella Fitzgerald. And in our house was the album, The 2000 Year Old Man by Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks. And uh, over the years, it just, you know, I knew every word on that album. And I was doing a play off Broadway in New York uh, with an actor named Gene Davis. And he was married to a casting director in Los Angeles. And one night, her name was Penny Perry. One night, Gene was talking to Penny and he said, Penny wants to talk to you. And I got on the phone and she said, look, I can't fly you out here, but if you can get out here, I want to get you uh, a meeting with Carl Reiner. He's doing a movie. You won't want to do it, probably, but you should just come meet him. I said, what do you mean I won't want to do it? She said, I can't talk about it. Just come out. So I got on a plane and I went to meet one of the absolute idols of my life. And I walked into his office. I could barely speak. And I sat down in front of him. He was behind his desk. And he explained to me that he why I wouldn't want to do it. Uh, it was a movie he was going to do with Steve Martin called Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. And it was a groundbreaking movie where they were going to use uh, scenes from 1940s black and white movies and intercut. Steve and characters from today into the same thing. So it all looked like a 1940s black and white movie. He said, here's the problem. It'll be about six weeks of work. I went, wait, six weeks of work with you and Steve Martin. He went, yeah. I went, okay, I'm in. He said, now hold on. He said, they'll never see your face. I said, what do you, what? He said, you will be all those old movie stars, Humphrey Bogart, Alan Ladd, James Cagney, all the ones from the old movie. But all we will ever see is your back, the back of your head, your hands. And I went, like, I care, Carl? <laughs> really? And he was shocked. And anyway, I, uh, I went out. And worked for about six weeks or so with Carl, um, who was the most wonderful human being that you could ever meet. And the first day I went, uh, um, I'm sorry if I'm getting long winded with this, but I, I'm getting emotional now about this. The first day I went there to the set. Uh, we were shooting at Laird Studios and I walked in and there was my there was a director's chair with my name and one for Carl and next to each other. So I sat in mine and Carl came, had a cup of coffee and he sat down, said good morning to me. And we talked for a minute and he got up. He said, I'll be right back. I have to go to the restroom. And there's a line from the 2000 year old man that goes. uh Carl says, I'm going to wend my way through this uh, room. And Mel Brooks says, good luck on your wending. That's one of the lines from the movie. So Carl said, I have to go to the restroom. And I said, good luck on your wending to him. And he turned around and he said, you know that album? 
And I said, I know every word of that album. He said, okay, good. He went to the bathroom. He came back. He sat down. He said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Every day while we're having our coffee in the morning, you and me will do some of the stuff from the album. Oh, my. I said, what? He said, yeah, you be Mel Brooks. I'll be Carl Reiner. (laughs) And so every day I would sit with Carl Reiner and we would do cuts from the album. Uh, I mean, as I say this now, all these years later, I still can't believe. And it was one of the, the great experiences of my life, being with him and Steve Martin for all that time. And it really was mostly just us. And then he did another film a couple of years later um, called Sibling Rivalry that my agent called one day and said, uh, we just got a call. Carl wants you to do this movie uh, that he's doing and you're going to play Carrie Fisher's husband. And I went, really? And I saw him the first day. He said, I've always wanted to do something where they would see your face on screen that I directed. Wow. And so I spent uh, two or three weeks doing that with Carl. And he was just the most wonderful man. When his book, he wrote an incredible book about the Dick Van Dyke show, which was his show. And um, I sent a, a, a email to his office asking if I got a copy of the book, would he autograph it for, for me? And I didn't hear back. And somehow they got my address and in the mail came a book with the most beautiful inscription from Carl in the front that said something like the greatest act to the greatest actor I ever worked with. Love Carl. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> wow. Anyway, that's my Carl Reiner story. What a great mm. story. Now I got to go out and rent Sibling Rivalry. It's really good. It's with Scott Bakula and Kirstie Alley and Carrie Fisher. And, but, you know, the great, it's not even most of the time the work on the actual things you do. It's having, I mean, I, you know, I got to have lunch with Carrie Fisher all those days. We would go sit in a restaurant. She was the smartest, funniest woman that I ever met, ever. Um, that's what, you know, the movie was fine, but it's all the relationships that, that you make along the way when you're, when you're working that are so great. No doubt. Yeah. Yep. All right. So one more before I let you go. And I, I, this is something we talked about last time. You speaking of what a great star you are and the, and the things that you do. And you did a very cool thing in Lexington with Eddie and the cruisers. You did a special screening at a historical theater and you, was for a great cause and all that sort of stuff. And what I want to know is when, when is the two version 2.0 or the reprise of that going to be? Cause I was hoping that a, I would get an engraved invitation to attend such a thing. And I was hoping it was going to be this summer. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. Let me think about that because what, what the event that you're talking about, um, and by the way, this is the 40th anniversary of the release of Eddie. Is that right? 1983. That's right. Yep. Uh, it's amazing. I was only eight when, when I did that movie. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> I was a prodigy, I think. <laughs> um, uh, um, but the response and, and how, 
it was amazing. I mean, in that movie, I love that you love the movie so much. I mean, it's it's that night, you know, people coming up to me and telling me why it meant so much to them and uh, the stories I heard and all of those things. Um, and you got to tell the story, is, by the way. I'm sorry. I said before we end this story, you got to tell the story about the young oh, lady the, and, and their father yeah. and stuff. Uh, real quickly, I, I had, I have a friend here named Vanessa who I've known for a few years. And, uh, the day I met her, she lost her mind that she was standing in front of Salamato. And it always kind of surprises me a little bit, but, um, she said, it's my favorite. I can't even explain to you. And every time I would see her, it would be the same thing. So. I announced that uh, I'm going to do this uh, for the flood victims of Eastern Kentucky and have a special one-time screening at a iconic theater here in Lexington. And um, she comes with her family and uh, we talk and I've seen her, but she's never said this to me. And she came up to me before the movie. She said, I don't think I've ever told you why it's so important to me. Oh. Uh, I'm going to lose it. Sorry. She said um, her father had gotten a brain tumor. He was 41 years old. And as he got worse, she said, Eddie and the Cruisers was his favorite movie. He loved the soundtrack from that movie. And she said, I had a red convertible then. And as he got worse, I decided I was going to take him for a drive every day when it was nice and just drive around with him. And the first day we went out, he took, uh, I guess it was a cassette then. And we listened. She said, we drove around in that red convertible, listening to the soundtrack from Eddie and the Cruisers. That's all we listened to driving around. Uh, and he passed away and he was 41. And she said, that movie is my dad. So, um, sorry. Don't it's, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty astounding that something that you did 40 years ago could have that effect on somebody. It's really quite amazing. Um, so le- uh, let me think about this because maybe there's something this summer that I can do this again and um, find another charity that that we could donate the funds from. That's a good idea, Chris. Yeah, I hope, yeah. I hope, I hope we can make that happen. Well, I'll try, but you're not getting a freaking engraved invitation. Come Forget on. It. No, Come I'll on. text you. I, I'll I text th- you. I'll send you a text. <laughs> 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 all right, I'll, I'll okay. take the text. All right, all right, I'll take all the right. text. You know, if that's okay. the best you can do. All right, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, let our listeners know again how can they stay up to date with all the great things that you do, listening to your shows and then following you on social media. Oh boy, uh, on Twitter I am at real r e a l lauro l a u r o and the number five. Uh, you can also go to WLXG.com. Uh, I'm on ESPN Sports Radio here in Lexington from 10 a.m. to noon, Monday through Friday. 
And of course, Backspin Golf, 8.03 tea time on Sunday mornings, uh, also on WLXG or the app ESPN Radio Lexington. Matthew, I love you, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night and being generous with your time to, to be here. You, uh, you make every show you're a part of better by being a part of it. So I thank you so much for the number of times that you've been here. Well, uh, you know, I heard everything that Mitchell said and Keith said and Tom and, you know, it's all a bunch of crap, but I guess I'll say it anyway. Um, you know, we all, everything that they've said is true. We all love you more than you could know. And you are a shining light. Um, to everybody that knows you, everybody, you're a shining light, sometimes in the darkness. Um, but, uh, you're a hell of a guy. That's all I'll say. You're a hell of a guy. Well, the feeling is definitely mutual. I'm privileged to know you and your brother. You guys have meant a great deal to me over the years that uh, I've gotten to know you. And, um, one of the best things about doing this show is, um, I, I've gotten to know so many of my heroes. So many well, of the golfers that are heroes, but you, you were a hero back in 1983 and, oh uh, and you've been one for 40 years in my life. And we've probably known each other for, I don't know, seven, eight years, something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, well, well I hope you have a great day tomorrow. Happy birthday. I may give you a call during the day. I don't know. I'm pretty busy. So, <laughs> you know, I'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can work me in, that would be great. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> See, See you. Take care, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Bye. See you, Matthew. That is the great Matthew Lawrence. And, and, and the two brothers are shining stars in my life. They have been for the number of years that we've gotten to know each other. And, and like I think Mitchell was talking about it, you, you, don't, you don't meet people. You meet people over social media. We have never seen each other in person. But we talk on the phone and we've gotten to know one another, like I say, over the last, you know, six, seven, eight years, whatever it's been. And uh, a wonderful friendship has come out of these guys coming on this show and then our support of one another on social media. And then in our personal lives, like I say, when we talk off air, um, two of the finest individuals you'll ever meet. They're just wonderful human beings. They've meant a huge, meant, meant, a, meant, a, meant a lot to me over the course. I've learned so much from them, listening to how they do their shows, how they conduct interviews, and just how they are as human beings. They've they've uh, had a dramatic impact on my life, and I'm so lucky that uh, I get to call both of them friends now. It uh, is just one of the wonderful things that have come out of doing Next on the T. So my huge thank you to them for everything they've meant to me over the years. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf. Game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this very special edition of Next on the Tee. My thanks again to Tom Patry, Keith Hirschland, and Mitch and Matthew Lawrence for being a part of it. Scheduled to join me next week are 2013 Senior Open Champion Mark Wiebe will be back, as will Top 50 LPGA Instructor Kelly Stenzel. 
1996 Texas Open champion and now one of the great instructors in our game, David Ogren, will be here. Plus, we'll catch up with the president of the Golf Heritage Society, Dr. Bern Bernacki. Folks, you can find this show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcasting content. In particular, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, Player.fm, and Good Pods. And my sincere thanks to those folks over at Good Pods for making Next on the T one of their recommended podcasts. Download their free app and stream your favorite podcast on your favorite device on Good Pods. And most of all, my sincere thanks to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.